Hello everyone, welcome to episode 11 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. Our Cold Wave Festival countdown is at two weeks. September 24th at Double Door for the kickoff show, and 14 acts playing the 25th and 26th at Metro in Chicago. Head to coldwaves.net for ticket links and a full band breakdown. On today's episode, we chat with the master of the dark ambient genre, Brian Williams. Turn up your headphones and close your eyes. This is Lust Mord.
your recordings go all the way back to 1981, but I don't think you did any live appearances until 2006. I did about, I can't, I can't actually remember, three or four around about 80, 81, and mm-hmm. then nothing for 25 years, correct. So what was the reason for the long gap? Uh, it was a combination of things. The combination of being busy <laughs> for 25 years. Well, there was two things going on. One is uh, right about the mid to late 80s. I started, uh, well, the early 80s, I was also involved in this band SPK, spending quite a bit of my time doing that. So I was busy, you know, I'd be touring with SPK and performed with them quite a few times. So, you know, I didn't feel like a, a need to it. From the mid 80s to the late 80s, I was moving more and more to using computers and software. So doing that live wasn't really, at the time especially, it wasn't practical. And also my studio and the hardware side was also growing. So the studio had become the instrument and it wasn't at all practical to actually take a studio on on tour, but actually for a, for a shows, you know, one-off shows. So right. that was one thing. But also in the late 80s, I, uh, late 80s, 91, 92, late, early 90s, I also moved to LA and I was really, really busy working on movies and stupid shit like that. So, you know, before you know it, a decade has passed and before you know it, another decade has passed. And, but gradually, I had more time. I actually wanted to play live for quite a while. It wasn't bugging me or anything, but I had, you know, intended to. I just never got around to it. Hmm. And then, uh, you know, computers became more and more powerful and smaller and smaller, and the studio became more and more. The studio became the computer. So then, it was actually possible to do something live. But of course, when it was actually possible to do something live with the studio in the computer, I didn't think that was particularly interesting. And then I saw a few people do it really well, and it. Uh, occurred to me that it could work in the right context as long as the sound is really good and there's uh, some decent visuals to accompany it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the theory anyway. So tell me about that, that first show that you did after 25 years. Uh, well, it, was, uh, it wasn't a proper show so much. That was, uh, that was an imitation of the, of the Church of Satan here in LA. Who had, uh, let's see, look, it was 2006. I hadn't played live for 25 years, and I thought, well, if I don't, you know, I don't know why, but for some reason, 25 seemed significant. You know, and I was, I was thinking to myself, and also talking to my wife, and saying, well, if I don't play on the 25th anniversary of not playing, you know, when am I going to play? You know, it's kind of 25 years is somewhat significant, so maybe I should do something like a live show. And at the same time, I got this phone call from the Church of Satan telling me that they were doing uh, their first ever public ritual. It was actually it was a private event, but public in the sense of Satanists from all around the world were flying in. They were celebrating their 40th anniversary, and they would like me to do the music for it, you know, play live to accompany it, which I thought was quite amusing. But they, then they told me it was it would be on 6606, and for me... Uh, you know, not having played so long and having this image that people seem to have of me, I thought it was just so funny to, you know, that Lost Mod, of course, has to play on 666 after all this time. It was it was very much a, it was literally a spinal tap moment as far as I was concerned. <laughs> just, yeah. So obviously with ambient style music, I'm sure the Church of Satan had their own interpretation of your music and yeah. anyone else that listens to your music has their own interpretation. So when you create it, do you have something in mind or is it just is it more about everyone putting into it what, you know, their own experiences? Well, people do put their own experience. What I try to do is there is there's always a, you know, there's an arc, there's there's all there's each one has a concept, there's an arc of going through everything in my work anyway. So I, I approach things very specifically, and there's a very specific thing I have in mind. But more than anything, what I try to do is uh, create a, a sense of space. And actually, in many ways, it's you know, obviously it's not a physical space, but I, I, I try and create a place that is a very 
a real place that only exists when the music is playing. And of course, some different people have different interpretations of that exactly might, where that might be. But the idea is that it, it takes them to a place and then brings them back again. That's that's the intention. Some people go to different places there. You know? it, it's interesting. The listener has a uh, has a bearing on how it's perceived and what they get out of it and uh, what they find in it. But it's also interesting when you do this kind of work or any kind of creative work. I guess once it goes out there in public, as a way, and people literally possess it. It, it pick, it's not so much yours anymore and other people have their own interpretation of it it's, it's an interesting process but as you mentioned when you're doing the live shows and and the visuals are a big part of your set how does uh-huh. that change the way you're presenting the music well uh, well obviously you haven't seen the show yet but uh, the idea is with the visual the visuals are a little bit more abstract than that. No, they're not literal and the idea what I'm trying to do I think I'm somewhat successful based on some of the comments I have what I'm trying to do is uh, have some visuals that accompany the audio. They don't kind of, they're not deciphering it or they're not giving any clues. It's, they're, I'm try, what I try to do with the visuals is the same kind of thing as I'm doing with the the music. It kind of, trying to do some hypnotic and takes you somewhere. You know, it's, it's not open to literal interpretation. You know? uh, they made the video, I mean, the, the music is to a fair degree. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the visual is, uh, it, it's not giving anything away, let's put it that way, as far as what the music means, you know. So I want to talk about the word is power. So uh-huh. that you had a lot of various vocalists that you collaborated with for that one. Tell me about how you you know decided to work with different people and how using their voices you were able to create something different. Well, the idea, well, the idea of the album is really old. It's a, at least I think it's about twenty years old. The idea of doing the album, it, I, in my head, I kind of as with all my albums, I knew pretty much how it would sound. It was all kind of mapped out. And it was just an idea that was on the back burner for quite a long time. The thing I didn't have was those voices. You know, I knew how it should sound, but I didn't know anybody who could make, could create that kind of feel, not just the sound, but that kind of feel. Uh, going back to some, some of your comments earlier, uh, questions earlier, that way I work. Also, it's, it's, it's kind of methodical and it's very much a, a concept behind everything. Everything's kind of planned out, but at the same time, I do everything by feel. You know the lengths of tracks and things. If it feels, it feels it should do this now. It feels like it should go here now. Uh, but as far as that album, it was uh, I knew the sound I wanted for the vocals and, and more importantly the feel in the performance. But I didn't know anybody who could do that exact thing. But over the last you know last few years, I actually got to know some people who would be perfect for it. So that's when I realized I could go ahead and record that album, which is what I did. Jabo, I've known from quite a while. We've been friends for quite a while. I, just, I did some remixes for her a long time ago, and she always said she owed me. And I, I wanted to use her vocals anyway, so she, you know, she she was more than happy to do some because she kind of gets what I'm doing. And then the main vocalist on uh, on the album is Ina, who's a friend of mine, and we became friends a few about five or oh, quite a few years ago anyway. But she's a very good friend of mine, and also happens to have a really great voice, and also absolutely gets what I'm doing. So she was perfect, and. Uh, she, you know, when finding her was a real boon because she really had the sound of the album. She really knows what I'm trying to do sound wise. Uh, there's another guy whose name I forget right now, who uh, somebody recommended and I got in touch. The guy doing Tibetan vocals, and, he, and I needed those kind of Tuvan Tibetan kind of sound, and he's, he nailed it completely. So, so that was somebody I approached. And the other voice is, uh, I guess, the more well-known voice is Maynard, who I'd worked with. I think I, I did some stuff remixes for Tool, and, you know, we'd become friends and stuff. And I'd worked with him on his Pussifer project, you know, co-writing some tracks and stuff. Having worked with, with him on Pussifer and also on Tool stuff, I've, you know, he's, he's, he's well known for his vocal. He's got a really good voice. 
and he's well known for it. But the thing is, he has a whole different style of vocal that he does that people don't really get to hear because it's buried away in the multi-tracks and harmonies and stuff. And hearing that stuff, I realized he would be perfect for the sound that I was looking for. But I didn't really want to ask him because he's the kind of guy who gets asked all the time. You know, it's kind of boring, and he never says no because people always want to take advantage. You know, you know his name and stuff. So I didn't ask him, but it was what well, was nice. Uh, he, he suggested to me that he would do some vocals. The Simon Fowler artwork on that album is very detailed. You know, it's the kind of thing where you could probably spend hours looking into. It's kind of a throwback to when people used to, you know, buy an album, take it home put it on their system, you know, put on the headphones and just sort of absorb it and look over the artwork. And it seems like uh, more often than not in, in today's society, music's kind of more of a background thing that people, you know, you just download on your phone, you listen to while you're, you know, driving to work. Do you have any thoughts on, on the way, you know, people seem to consume music now versus the way that your music seems more more of a throwback to, to where someone should really be focusing strictly on that and not, not doing other things at the same time. I don't really have that. I don't really give it much thought, to be honest with you. You know, it's, it's uh, as far as the album cover, that was, as you probably can tell, it was that was deliberate. But as far as how people are listening to it, I think, you know, it, it can, it, it's not created to be background music, but like, you know, it, it can be background music depending on what you're doing and stuff. I'm sure many people listen to it as background, but you can also really listen, really immerse yourself in it too and, you know, put headphones on or put it to a really good sound system and just listen to the whole thing. Each album is constructed to have a beginning, a middle and an end and be listened all the way through. Well, of course, people don't necessarily listen to it that way and that's fine. It's, it's, I think it's a good thing when people, if you, if you work, if you create something, and people actually sit down and and pay attention and give it time. That's that's a good thing. But uh, you know, not all, not everybody does that, and not everybody does that all of the time. And that's okay too. Mm-hmm. It's there's there's room for both. But I think you know, obviously, ideally, when you create something and you spend a long um, months building something, you kind of hope people will give it some attention. But you know, being a realist, you know that most people won't. Are you working on any new stuff? Well, not really. I mean, I've been, the last couple of months I've been busy. I took some time off music to work on video. I think I just did a show in Berlin last week and uh, used the new video. And I'm going to be using it in Chicago. It's actually, going to be, it's going to be different in Chicago. The Berlin version was quite quite different and vertical. Anyway, I've been spending a couple of months off to catch up and create a new video for the show. Uh, but now I am actually funny, Jezeka. This week I'm actually back working on an old, another 20-year-old uh, idea of mine which will I'll hopefully be the next album, but that won't be until uh, next year, mm-hmm. which is not too far away, you know.
On today's episode, you heard Permafrost and Babel. Lustmord can be found at lustmord.com. Our opening music is Monster Zero by Acumen Nation. Join us one last time next week as we talk to Johnny Boucher from Hope for the Day, a nonprofit suicide prevention organization that's partnered with the Cold Waves Festival since 2013. Our last Remembering Jamie segment has F.J. DeSanto from the Aggression and Hype Factor remembering the night Acumen opened for ministry. The only gig I remember I flew out for was when they opened for ministry at the Vic. And I flew out just for that. Because I remember Jamie saying to me, he's like, we're finally going to open for ministry. They'd done the set. They did their set. And I was on the side of the stage. And he was just so excited that they were opening for ministry. This was like... And the thing, I was sitting there like, you know, the pride I felt, like, as their friend, like, especially for Jamie's opening for ministry. The people we talk about all the time. People we idolize. They finished the set. It was like, get the gear out. And in the alley on the sign of the Vic, a private car, like a town car, pulls up. And out of car, Alec comes out of car. And everybody stops. And Jimmy's just like, sup, Al? And I was like, Jamie? You know, like, and he was the only one he would acknowledge. Like, everybody else started, but he acknowledged Jamie. You know, and we were all like, whoa. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, he knows me. I had worked on the road. But it was so cool. It was like, I, you know, I to- it was a total nerd moment for me where I was like, where J- because, but that was Jamie. Jamie was sitting there, he was accessible to everybody. Where it was just like, you know, and I was just like, because other people had said, but it was, he went out of his way just to say hi to Jamie and then went right. And literally, by the way, the band was already playing. Like, ministry, the opening song was already started.